This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Over the last couple of months, I know that I have been feeling stressed and super anxious. How and could you not starting, be? I know, right? Starting therapy has been a, a huge transformative help. Um, and BetterHelp is one of the coolest new services out there to help you find a therapist. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling that you can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours, uh, send a message to your counselor anytime. It's really wonderful. It's, it's meant to, particularly in this time where we can't be going to people's offices and you, you know, it was always kind of stressful to think about, oh, I want to like, I'm going to go sit on a couch across from somebody for a while. Mm -hmm. This is great. It's more affordable. Financial aid is available. It is available worldwide. Um, and counselors are specialized in, in everything and anything that you could possibly feel like you want to talk about. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping. not sleeping well. I mean, mm -hmm. trauma, anger, grief, all and of anything it. Anything you share with them is confidential, just like a real therapist. These are It's convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. And uh, you can go to BetterHelp's website if you want to see some more testimonials. So many people have been using it that they're actually recruiting additional counselors everywhere. Um, we want you to live a happier life. And so as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash so many damn books. You can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash so many damn books. This episode of do you so say many that? damn books. Hang on. Do you want to take that again on the mic? Yeah. Do you, should we start this podcast? Podcast is what you said. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so many. So many. So many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Lena Valencia zooming on in to the damn library. Lena Valencia is a writer and a teacher and the managing editor of One Story. As a writer, uh, she has recent work in Tiny Nightmares, uh, Very Short Tales of Horror, and also a short story in the most recent um, Epiphany uh, literary magazine, The Borders Issue. Um, as well as work before, and uh, you went to the new school with me. That's I did. true. And um, <laughs> you also uh, ran a literary reading series at the Hi-Fi Bar many moons ago. Yes, um, the Hi-Fi Reading Series, RIP. Oh, to the bar and the reading series, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> did the pandemic take Hi-Fi away from us too? Oh, or? no, no, that was, that was before the pandemic. Okay. Just gentrification and whatever else takes away bars. In New well, York. welcome to the podcast. We're so excited <laughs> to have you. We're, and we're so excited to talk. I mean, we have a lot of short stories um, in, the, in our midst and celebrating the short story is something that I've always wanted to do on the show and we never really have. Yeah, this feels like a, the perfect time to do so. Right. Who has... Who among us can focus? Who recently to, has had the attention span to do anything ever? Uh, <laughs> I tell you, Tiny Nightmares is about like, ooh, good, three pages. That'll 
We'll take a little break in the middle of one of these to read the phone and then we'll. (laughs) But yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Lena. It is so great to have you. Thank you for having me. This is such an such an honor to be on the show. So I we did get to I actually passed off this cocktail to you right before like lit- literally like moments before uh it was called for Biden on Saturday. Like we walked <laughs> I walked away from you and and heard people screaming from rooftops. <laughs> Um, and I was just like, I fir- seriously thought it was a car accident um, at first. Because no. <laughs> the first <laughs> sound I heard was this guttural roar, which I just, I, people express joy in all sorts of ways. <laughs> but the drink, um, so I'm calling it the return to form, which is a, which is the, a reference to um, your character in Dogs, um, who is a screenwriter and, and she's sequestering herself and she's trying to make a return to form for herself. And I thought this might be a drink that she would have. It's, um, I burnt uh, rosemary. And, sh- and so usually you do that as a, um, as a garnish only, but I decided I would roast, the, roast it and then shake that in the drink um, oh, wow. with bourbon, uh, maple syrup and tobacco bitters. I've had these tobacco bitters forever and I never know what to put them in. Um, but I was thinking about that guy who picks her up and he's got like a bunch of a carton of cigarettes on his, and I was like, what, what other time can I make a literary reference with my bitters? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so it's those three, uh, maple syrup, bourbon and tobacco bitters shaken with the burnt rosemary stock and then poured over ice with another burnt rosemary stock in as the garnish um and so that's the drink so cheers nice glad i got to hand it over yeah it's delicious and very has got a got a kick to it (laughs) yeah it's it's a it's a hefty pour of bourbon (laughs) yeah Yeah, i saw i was like this isn't that much this is and then yeah now i've had three sips i'm like oh <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> well, maple syrup, I feel like, covers up so many sins. Um, and actually, if you're going to make a cocktail with maple syrup, I highly recommend. I did it for this one, cutting your maple syrup in, in half or with some water, just Ooh. because, like, otherwise, maple syrup tends to shake up and get hard, kind of like honey, oh. um, and you won't get the full flavor into your drink. So, make, putting a little water in, and then I didn't shake the drink with water. It was just supposed to be poured over ice. I'm sad we couldn't get, get one to you this time, Drew. This is like the first time in a while. It's all right. What are you drinking? It, uh, I'm drinking some Domaine Carneros Rose that uh, oh. my wife got sent by her in laws for her upcoming birthday. Oh, very nice. That we were going to pop open on Saturday but it was the middle of the afternoon. And so we lit up a joint that our friends sent us instead. (laughs) I I mean, got legalized all sorts of places. New Jersey, baby. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's going to be like in, um, in There Will Be Blood at the end when he's like, I do all of the things around you and then I drink your milkshake. That's what all of the neighboring governors are doing to Cuomo. And so they're going to have to have to legalize it because everybody's just going to be like, well, I could just go to New Jersey, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Connecticut. 
Uh, it's not my joke. I saw online that someone's like, there's only, it's only a, a matter of time until someone makes a, the path strain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like good. it. <laughs> All right. Oh, so that's the drink. What do we do next? What'd you buy, right? We do what you buy. And since in New York, we can't buy legal li- weed yet. Let's talk about books we bought. Lena, do you want to go first uh, or do you want Drew to go first? I can go first. So I pre-ordered a couple of things. Nice. Um, I pre-ordered the new uh, Daniel Evans short story collection, um, mm-hmm. the Department of Historical Corrections. Um, and um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and then I also pre-ordered um, the literary magazine called Dinner Bell. Um, which oh, is, cool. Yeah, it's a magazine of weird food writing. So that's coming in December and I'm excited about that. Um, I talked about issue one. I love that they have um, their slogan is no chefs, no masters. Um, yeah, I got the t-shirt too because I liked it so much. Nice. So, anyway. So good. What made you buy the Daniel Evans uh, collection? Um, I've been a fan of hers since I read her first collection, um, you know, uh, several, several years ago and have been like eagerly waiting for this new one to come out um and um yeah there's this amazing short story uh she published in the swanee review um that came out a couple years ago that's in it about this um white woman who wears a confederate flag bikini um and i all this so transpires (laughs) so good it's so oh so uncomfortable and so just I don't know she just really she just she goes there um I really I'm a big admirer of her work so awesome sounds great yeah uh Drew I in keeping with the short story theme we talked about this when we did our Patreon Zoom with a couple of folks I don't know two three weeks ago now um there's a new literary magazine that's coming out essentially via Skylight Books in Los Angeles called Breaking and Entering. Mm. Their first issue came out uh, at like at the holidays last year uh, and was just starting to get distributed widely. It showed up in community bookstore right before COVID hit in March. And I was like, gonna go. I missed the boat in trying to get over there before everything shut down. And I kind of forgot about it. And then we were talking about it their first and so far only issue, although they told me today that their second issue is at the printers, Mm. um, is a short story by Eugene Lim called The Basement Food Court of Forking Paths that is apparently an excerpt from his forthcoming novel. But I finally, they're now taking orders on their website. Uh, And so I'm so stoked. It's a beautiful chapbook with like a cool illustration. And I just, I don't know, I love anytime somebody does something new, like I always want issue one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was very excited to finally get to order that. And then the other thing I ordered is the new Hingston and Olson joint. Uh, it's called Projections. They put together, they're the folks behind the short story advent calendar, um, the ghost box that Patton Oswalt was curating for a couple of years. 
This one is edited by Rebecca Romney, who's a rare book dealer. Um, and it's science fiction stories. The oldest, I think, is like 1836 or something like that. And the most recent is an excerpt from Parable of the Talents by Octavia Butler, so 1998. But all of these stories that in some way predict something about our life in 2020. And so like the excerpt from Octavia Butler is a presidential candidate who is a demagogue who wants to make America great again. But then there's like a Mark Twain short story where he basically imagines FaceTime. Mm. But in like the mid 1800s, it's a really, it's a wild collection. There's a story from J.G. Ballard, but then there are a bunch of people who I've never heard of before. And it's beautifully designed like all of their stuff. So I can't wait to dive into that. Cool. Christopher, what do you got? Well, I'm very excited about um, this book, White Magic by Alyssa Washita. Um, It's a collection of essays that's put out by Tin House. And um, Alyssa is a member of the Cowlitz Indian tribe. And this is like a collection of intertwined essays. It's about, says on the back, land, heartbreak, colonization, and also how she became a powerful witch. So I'm very, very excited about this book. It seems incredible. Um, And then I also, so a a couple weeks ago, just scrolling through Twitter, I saw a a random person that we follow on the So Many Damn Books account and follow personally as well, um, just had a picture of something they had bought recently. Um, Her handle is tambourine, spelled with a U. I don't know her personally, but she had this book on her feed called Personal Pleasures by Rose um, Macaulay, and it came out in um, 1968, and it's just a collection of little essays about just things she likes. Um, (laughs) And it's just like the pleasure of them, like a bakery in the night, astronomy, um, finishing a book, hatching eggs, a hot bath, showing off, not going to parties. And it's just little essays about them. And like dipping into this and reading a couple of these is just so quaint and pleasurable. And just like, oh, right. Like the little things truly are what make life great. That's awesome. And and so I guess this is the first volume. She did a second volume where she asked like all the famous writers of the time to um, submit. And so that one, this one's already like 300 pages. That one is apparently like 700 pages, like this big thick thing. And it's just everybody's personal pleasures. And it's just, uh, it's a nice thing to have around right now, I must say. <laughs> so that, you know, sometimes you buy something literally because you just saw, I, I, I just saw the picture of the cover on Twitter and I was like, yeah, I want one. I want to see what that <laughs> is. Because what else are we doing but online shopping? Oh my God, so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited to talk about the short form with you, Lana. You've really worked on it in in this very specific way. You work, uh, you're the managing editor of One Story and I would love for you to, I've recommended people buying One Story on the show before, um, but I'd love to hear how you explain it to people. Well, thank you. Um, so <laughs> One Story is a literary magazine, um, and we publish one story per issue. So it comes in a small um, five by seven kind of chapbook. Um, we put it out monthly. Um, we also have a magazine, a version for teens called One Teen Story, and that comes out 
three times a year with a, you know, illustrated cover and everything. Um, and um, yeah, in addition uh, to the magazine as an organization, we also um, run um, online classes um, and we, uh, we have a fellowship program. Yeah, that's, that's the magazine. I, uh, One Story was the first literary magazine I ever personally subscribed to. Um, cool. And I, like before I moved to New York, I um, remember like reading about the debutante ball, which was <laughs> um, when they, anybody who has had a story as an issue of one story, who's then published a novel, they get invited to this party you guys throw. Um, and I remember reading about it and thinking that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then like many years later, getting to go and being a part of it. Um, it's just one of those things that like, one story is just, it holds a special place in my heart. It's hard to kind of say your house style of what you guys go for because it's so different issue to issue. Yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't really have a house style. Part of that is because, you know, the, it kind of depends on who's editing it. We really kind of defer to the case of the editors. Um, but also, and this is, you know, what I tell writers when they ask about submitting to the magazine or uh, is, because of its form, what we're really what we're really looking for is um, kind of a story that feels like a complete reading experience. Um, so it almost feels like a mini novel, just because in a publication that's like more of an anthology publication that has, you know, it'll have an essay and then a short story and then a poem. You know, editors are thinking about the, the arc of the issue differently than if it's um, than if you just have you know one one single story that has to really really carry it, carry it, um, carry the issue itself. So that makes sense. Yeah. What does, a, so how is the managing editor position different than being the editor? <laughs> um, the managing, well, I should preface this by saying that managing editors do different things at different organizations, but the managing editor at one story, um, I was really involved in um, assigning submissions. So I was, you know, looking at the slush pile and assigning submissions to our readers. Um, I'm also responsible for, you know, for the layout of the magazine. Um, so I'm putting it into InDesign, et cetera. Um, and then I do, you know, like administrative stuff, managing interns. Um, and I'm also uh, kind of coordinating the, um, the online education program, which has been a lot of fun. Wow. Um, yeah, and then you know, some sometimes when I find a story that I really that I really love, um, I'll I'll work on it with Patrick Bryan, um, who's the editor in chief, and we'll kind of we'll co-edit, which is a lovely lovely experience. I have to confess that when I get a story, I try not to read the emails that you send out that are sort of <laughs> like the next issue is going to be in your. I wait to read that until after I've read the story, but I get the story and knowing nothing about it, only seeing the typical like one story cover, I try to figure out what the vibe of the story is going to be based on the typeface and the color of the paper. And I'm, I am just wondering, like, how much am I reading too much into it as I try to figure these things out based on the design? Or are you just being like, <laughs> you know, we haven't had a red one in a couple of months? <laughs> um, it's kind of both. Um, I really I do. A lot of times I do try to keep the color somehow in theme with with the story. Um, so this most recent one, I mean, was was easy because it was the cherries in the snow lipstick 
was mentioned um, in the rat. So oh. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to. Nice. <laughs> yes. Um, which was, it was also kind of personally fun to me because that was a lipstick color that I stole from my own mother um, <laughs> as, as a teenager. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do try, but other times I, you know, I'm like, okay, we haven't done purple in a while. Um, this is a nice shade of purple. Um, and uh, yeah, same with, with the typeface. I also try to have it connect like thematically with the story um, somehow. So the, the one for the rat has little like these curly, oh gosh, I'm forgetting my typography, but um, you know, these curly lines that reminded me of rat tails. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it definitely, I mean, like it showed up at my house right after Halloween. And so I very much was like, ooh, it's a rat. It's got a, it's, it felt, and I like went into it feeling spooky. And it's, what <laughs> I mean, whatever you're doing, it, it works is the thing. Every yeah. issue that I've gotten, even if I have ultimately predicted the wrong thing based off of like the story and the typeface and the color, for whatever, like the mood still works. Even if I'm like, oh, this story is going to be about space or whatever. And it's a domestic <laughs> short story about like an mm. upset housewife. Mm -hmm. But the color that it like, it's marvelous how much you can do with so little. Mm -hmm. I just, I really, I really, really love the simplicity of the design and yeah. also the way that it, it puts the emphasis on the story. Yeah. And, you know, that's been one story's had the same design since it started, um, which was almost 20 years ago now. Um, and, and I, that's what, that was the idea, you know, from the beginning was really um, that the emphasis should be on the story. So you don't have, there's no, you know, no ads to break it up. I think it's also, I don't know if you're geeking out about it. It's like important to remember that when it did, when it came out, you know, a lot of um, fiction was in, you would get fiction from glossy magazines, but they were kind of, they were cutting their fiction sections. So this right. was kind of trying to just to be what, you know, to hold a space for like what was being cut out of these, of these magazines. So no ads, just the fiction. Um, so I think that's kind of interest, an interesting piece of magazine history. <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved that. Um, unlike, you know, like a New Yorker or something, if they, if they pile up, you can grab like all four of them like the, that you have that you've missed for a couple and like just take them with you and it's not and it's not the same thing as having this huge enormous stack of magazines it's like no I have four really discreet journeys to go on and they fit nicely in a jacket pocket um I I, I feel like trim size is something that goes un <laughs> unremarked upon um and it really adds to the reading experience of the thing so this story, The Rat by Johanka Delgado, and you can actually go and buy back issues of one story if this sounds interesting to you. So I'm not going to give away, but like the idea is this woman is a, um, a knife salesman. I think that's so wild. And, uh, and she stops in this place and says, someone says, I can take all your sadness that you feel because she's feeling the um, not so fresh death of her mother, but she's very emotional about it. And um, the person says, I can take all your pain from you and it results in a in a rat following her um and this idea is so strange but it's a complete thought like it feels like a complete feeling and um 
when you when when you read a short story for one story and you're like oh is this good for our issue like is there it is is it a feeling like how do you know like this is this is your guys's oh that's a really good question well <laughs> with this story this story is unique because one of our one of our readers had 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 found it and pulled it um and I read her summary of it and I was like, oh my God, this sounds like a story that I would love because I like, you know, the weird spooky horror type stuff. Um, and uh, and so I, you know, I sent it along um, and Patrick liked it too. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think the, be you know, the best indicator that um, the story is something, um, you know, that the story is a, a keeper is uh, I will, you know, I'll be, I'll be thinking about it for, for days, for days later. Um, and, you know, besides the, the other, other obvious factors, like, um, you know, like the, the language or, um, or the plot or some like amazing, you know, concept, but, um, but yeah, I really, I think that, um, I don't know, the, the stories that end up making it always have some sort of, uh, staying power, um, and the the rat definitely did. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. And it also it it has to be something. I mean, we go back and forth with writers a lot when we're editing a story. Um, they we go through many many rounds of edits, um, and um, and that's kind of just part of our editorial style. So it has to. It really does have to be a story that like you're so excited about you can read it like forty times. Um, <laughs> which you can't say for every story. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, yeah, there, there are some really indelible images in this. And, it, and um, Sarah was watching me read it and she was just like, what is that story about? Because <laughs> like, there's so many times when you're actually like wincing at the page, like, oh, no, no. <laughs> don't do that. Um, it's very um, visceral those details and it makes me think of the short story that you had published recently in epiphany um just to sort of switch over to your actual your writing versus the writing that you edit um so this is epiphany Lit literary magazine this is their borders issue um and this story dogs is about a as i was saying before it's a screenwriter who is taking some time away from her family um to try to finish a script and she's at an Airbnb Airstream trailer um, and gets beset by some dogs, some wild animals, wild dogs. Um, I guess I'm curious about writing about writers, um, writing about a screenwriter. What dry, drew you to writing a story about a writer? This is kind of a lame answer, but I guess this, the story, what happened in the story like kind of happened to me. Um, so I, I, I was at a, and I guess I was trying to process it. Um, so I was at a, um, at a, a, a kind of a self-made retreat, um, in the desert and I went out for a walk and, um, some dogs started following me and barking loudly. And I, you know, in hindsight, if they'd been like 
they wanted to like hurt me, they probably would have. But in, at the time, I didn't know that. Um, and I didn't know what to do because there was no one else around. Um, and I knew that you shouldn't run from them. Um, anyway, so I ended up like flagging down the car, <laughs> getting a ride back up the hill. And it was just, they were very friendly as a couple, these, you know, middle-aged, middle-aged couple. But the guy did say like, oh, those dogs probably wouldn't have done anything to you. <laughs> it was just and the wife was like, why would you say that? <laughs> um, so that interaction, and, and, you know, there was this fear of, like, not being able to, to, you know, to control this thing that's, like, this animal that's coming at you. Um, I'd never, I hadn't been scared like that in a really long time, so I kind of wanted to write about it, um, and then I guess the writer character, um, I kind of wanted to also explore some ideas about um, just about how women are portrayed specifically in horror films. And, um, and I kind of wanted to, I don't know, to write a little bit about, about that in fiction, which is why it made her, you know, a horror writer. It was interesting to hear you talking about your work with one story and looking for sort of like these stories that, that are self-contained to like fill the whole, fill the whole chat book. And dogs lives in a, a slightly smaller range. And then your story in Tiny Nightmares, The Blue Room, which not to pick favorites, but it's my favorite story in that collection. It's, I have oh, not stopped you. thinking about that story. <laughs> but that, I mean, it's flash fiction. It's so tight, it's so short. What is it, I mean, what is it like moving between all of these worlds as editing, looking at larger stories, writing, trying to choose the size for the stories that you're gonna, like, what is, what's that experience like for you? Um, writing the, you know, the Blue Room was actually just a fun exercise for me. I usually, I tend to kind of sprawl out with my fiction. Um, and actually both of these stories happen to be like pretty short for what I usually work with. Um, and I saw the call for um, for flash horror, and uh, decided to give it a shot. Um, so um, yeah, because I guess it's not really something that I that I think about when you know when I set out to to, to write a story is how how long it's going to be. But in this case, I was kind of, I was forced to, and um, you know I think a lot of a lot of writers say this that constraint kind of lends a sort of freedom to to work. Um, and um, so that was, that was really, that was, that story was particularly fun to edit. And my writing group helped a lot with, um, with what could be cut and how to, you know, how to keep it within a word count. But it felt, um, for, for that one, I really had to, you know, to think about, it, it almost felt like I've heard like writing poetry be described where you really have to decide like, do I, you know, do I need this word? Do I need this sentence? Like, how can I say this in as few words as possible? Um, and, and really, you know, make the language um, stand out. So that was, that was fun. It was a fun, a fun exercise. And I'm, I'm happy with how it came out. This is the story that you had in the new collection, Tiny Nightmares. Um, and this is their second in their tiny series. They had tiny <laughs> crimes. And their third. Third. Because they had, um, Sorry, I'm just gigantic worlds, which is flash fiction about uh, sci-fi. Oh, sci oh. so three. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's 
so they had like crime fiction, um, sci-fi fiction, and now horror. And so this, the Blue Room, I mean, it's barely four pages, but it's, I, I feel like it's like the fantasy of, other than it being horror, it's like what you want from visiting an art installation. Like go, if you, if you could, <laughs> to choose your experience of an art installation, it would be to go and to experience it and to walk away with it really changing you. Like that's like, that's oh, like what you want. And then, so this is like, what if that happened, but it's absolutely horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, and I really love that. It's sort of, I wrote, it follows meets the ring. Um, <laughs> that's my admittedly amateur hor horror movie watching. <laughs> Um, no, th those are those are not amateur horror movies. No, it's scary. as an amateur horror watcher. I'm new. Oh, okay. I'm new to the genre myself. Uh, <laughs> those uh, are really scary ones. I yeah. <laughs> well, it's really scary. I mean, what happens to your character in the story is 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 terrifying. And um, I mean, how do you scare yourself while you're writing? I guess that when I I don't really get scared while I'm while I'm writing. Um, I don't know. I just think about what, you know, what would be really creepy if you're in an isolated space and the answer is a ghost <laughs> or a demon. I don't know. Um, you know, I, it's a, I, it's a, it's a ridiculous <laughs> question. I'll, I'll admit it. I just was thinking about like throughout this collection, there's so many moments where I'm just like, I, were they scared while writing this or is it just like, you know, like turning some knobs? I think when you're writing horror, you're thinking about, well, you're thinking about the character, you know, I don't if you if you know the end of something it's less scary you're, you're removing like that element of suspense you know that you have in like a horror film or a horror novel um and you're more you're thinking more about how to like how to how to dial it up yeah i know that you also are a teacher and that one story offers some incredible classes taught by you and a number of other people i took hannah tinty's um, five sentence short story class this summer. It's a great one. Yeah, I had a blast. And this is this is a question for for teacher you, I guess, but also for writer you. As a writer, how do you stop your editor brain from getting in the way while you're working, or do you? <laughs> that's it's that's a real challenge. Um, I, you know, I give advice to my you know, I teach a generative, I've been teaching a, you know, generative writing class um, for, for a couple of years now, um, where, you know, students just write straight from exercises, and it's all about um, kind of the, the power of first drafts, um, and of, you know, of this kind of raw, unprocessed, unedited emotion, um, and I find it really hard. I mean, I, it seems like it should just be you know, since it's a first draft, it seems like it should be easy to just kind of let it all fall out of you and and just tell you, oh, you know, don't worry about uh, don't worry about what it sounds like. But as an editor, I, I I do worry about that. So like trying to kind of turn that part of my brain off is as much of a part of like that practice um, and trying to like take the advice I give my students, which is that you know part of um, I don't know part of getting words on the page is just letting yourself get you know get the words on the page and that in itself can sometimes be a real a real challenge um and yeah i mean i guess really putting that putting that ego aside um which again easier easier said than done um 
and once I get really absorbed and kind of taken into the you know to to the draft, it becomes it becomes easier. Um, but I I think the real you know the real joyful immersive experiences I have when I'm working on a piece of fiction are definitely going in and doing and doing the revision. Um, mm. That's a lot more fun to me. So sometimes I'll tell myself like. If you finish this draft, you get to revise, <laughs> and that helps. Um, That's like the nerdiest affirmation I've ever heard. I, I love that. <laughs> I know, but I, I feel like some writers will understand. I mean, there are people who really love that that first draft process, and then there are people who, you know, who like who like the revising. And I'm definitely in the revising camp. <laughs> no, it makes sense to me that there's like something to the to the uh, effect of like, like putting on a hat that's like okay uh, your ego hat like i'm an i'm a person who's studied a lot of fiction i know everything about fiction i know how to fix this story like i've re read so many things and i understand pace and how to fit fit things and then like you take that hat off and you're like i don't understand anything i just want to follow this muse of mine i feel like they're very different hats yeah um yeah, Natalie Natalie Goldberg writes about that in um, this craft book called Writing Down the Bones, um, which I personally had a really hard time getting into because it uses like some very new agey language, and I was just like, oh god. But um, I found <laughs> I first my students really responded to it, and then you know as I started you know teaching these essays from it. Uh, class after class, I kind of, I, I started to, they started to really resonate with me. And that's her idea of like, you know, really putting aside your, putting aside your ego to, um, to, to get those first, those first thoughts down. She talks about them as first thoughts. Um, and I don't know, that's one of the great things about writing is like, there are so few things in life that you can fix and do over and polish, um, but you can do that with um, with a piece of writing and I don't, that's one of the reasons I like it. Was this how you saw your writer's life playing out when you were at the new school, when you were getting an MFA? <laughs> Were you looking out, were you thinking like, I'm gonna just find all the paths that I can. I was always, I'm, you know, um, in order to sustain my writing, I don't know. I always, I've always wanted to to work at, you know, I've been working in magazines since I graduated from undergrad. Um, so uh, I've, I've just, I've always, I've always loved literary magazines um, and kind of the, the paths that they offer emerging writers, especially. Um, so yeah, I did hope to work at a, at a magazine like like one story. Um, so I feel really, really lucky to, to be there. Um, and then, you know, teaching was something that I discovered in grad school. I never thought of myself as someone who, who would ever teach. Um, and, um, and it was something I discovered, you know, that I really, that I really loved, even though <laughs> I wasn't very good at it, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was, it's just, it's always an exciting challenge. And it's one of these things where, um, uh, you're kind of forced to um, you're forced to think about and to art articulate these ideas about writing that I was kind of just keeping to myself and like putting out in the in, in my own work. But with you know a a room or a Zoom screen full of people, you have to know how to um, 
how to give language to like these craft elements um, and to kind of get you know students excited about working with them and um, so I've always I always like and then there's you know the, then there's the the workshop element which is talking about other people's work and in, in, uh, in progress that's also really exciting to me um, I, I kind of I love that yeah, yeah that makes sense to me well let's talk about somebody else's work that's not in progress but you've brought it to us what um, would you tell us about Megan Cummins's book and why you brought it to us um, yeah, so Megan Cummins' book, If the Body Allows It, is a short story collection, um, and uh, it won the uh, the Prairie Schooner Book Prize in fiction, um, and um, the stories are, um, a lot of them are about kind of illness, they're about addiction, they're about relationships, um, and they're, they're framed by this kind of this, this, um, this main story that kind of threads through um, uh, about this um, this young woman with uh, with an autoimmune disorder, um, and I really love it. I love it because it's um, her humor is so amazing. Because these story, a lot of the stories are, are are pretty dark, but they've got this like this really this dark, rich sense of humor um, that uh, that. I don't, I, I just, I feel like it really sets them off um, in, in a way that makes it so, so fun to read. Um, and I also think that, I mean, it's one of the few pieces of contemporary fiction that I've read, and I'm sure there are other, there's other work out there, but that, um, that really deals with, um, you know, the, <laughs> like, what, it, what, it, um, the consequences of, like, our healthcare system, our crappy American healthcare system. Yeah. Um, and how much, you know, I think a lot of times in fiction, the impulse is to, you know, to kind of avoid, avoid that or to kind of stay away from the political. Um, but she, she really manages to, but it, but you, that's not really how life works. Um, you know, cause we all have bodies and, Unfortunately, it costs a lot of money to maintain those bodies. I mean, obviously, depending on um, how healthy you are and how wealthy you are. Um, but um, but yeah, I think this um, this collection addresses that in um, in a really interesting way. Um, and yeah, I found it found it very powerful. And I this and structurally, um, I I really I I loved the way that. Um, it's not quite a linked collection, but there's like one that one linked story that kind of that kind of binds all of the pieces together. I thought was really lovely. Well, and and she's like put them in sort of she even sort of set off the sections, mm -hmm. um, and I love the organization of it. It's it really, you know, it it felt as carefully curated, and I know everybody's is, but this really felt like an album. You know, it really felt like you're supposed to read this in order. You really are supposed to read this maybe more as a novel than other short story collections because of that one link story that comes through. Um, but at the same time, she's going all over the place. I mean, she has the lightest touch on things that are like incredibly difficult. Um, I keep coming back to that story near the beginning uh, of going to see a high school boyfriend. Oh, oh. the beast. I love that story. <laughs> that story is fantastic. I, I think, 
you know, a lot of these stories, and this is one of the great things about, you know, Megan's a friend of mine, but also like just following a writer. Like I'd, I'd read a lot of versions of these in literary magazines. So a lot of this was, one of them was in one teen story, um, Aerosol, um, hmm. when we published work by uh, by adult writers dealing with the teen experience. Um, but um, they, you know, they definitely stood up to the reread and I just discovered more that I loved about them. So that was, that's just, I, you know, not every, not everything is, you don't get to reread everything or you don't want to, but I don't know, her stories, I feel like definitely benefit from, from second or third read. Well, they're, they're so tight. Oh yeah. But there's something too about the way that structurally, once you realize that sort of the thread story, that the, the woman who is telling the thread story is also the one who's been writing some of these stories that we're reading and there's this this lovely blurring of the line. Once that happens, I definitely had that impulse of like, oh shit, I want to reread some of these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like, to, oh, it, it made me think about them differently in a mm-hmm. way that I really... I loved the discovery that came from that and that it, you know, I love it when an author sets up the like reread this someday. Mm -hmm. So often you get to the end of a book and you're like, okay, that was fun. And maybe I'll reread it someday. But when there's that hook that makes you think like, Ooh, I'm a going to reread this and B when I do, I'm going to definitely get something different out of it because of the knowledge that I have from the first go round. It's just like, I love that. Yeah, and it feels sort of like, um, it's like the effect of, <laughs> I have these Philips Hue um, light bulbs. Hell yeah. In, that you can control the the tone of on your on your phone. And um, they, they go to every different color that you could possibly want. Um, and it's just one of these things that's just like, it changes the whole valence of a room. Like you just thought, it, you know, normal lighting, your room looks normal, but you turn it purple. And then once you turn it back, so in normal lighting, you really have a different view of it. Um, and I felt like that while I was reading these and got that sort of like, oh, there's some, there is a blurring that she's, that she's playing with. That's always exciting. I, I, I feel like there's some people who are writing short stories and they're writing them because they had a short idea. And there's some short stories that I feel like someone was following them and they're like, oh, I guess this ends here. Like they didn't know that that's where that was going to go. And I, I felt like that was happening over and over with Megan's stories, Megan Cummins' story. I felt like that was happening in each of these stories, that they were more like she was following something that was important to her that she didn't know where it was going to end up. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, uh, I think part of that is that the endings, um, They a lot of them feel like, she does this cool where they, they seem abrupt, but then on a second read, you can kind of see how 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 they work. Um, yeah. which I which I kind of which I kind of love. Um so it seems like they just they kind of sometimes it seems like they just kind of cut off, but um, but then you know, when you sit back and you think about it, you can see how some of those some of those strands got tied tied together. 
I love the old editor trick of like cutting off your last paragraph um, <laughs> as like, and you ended it here actually, if you think about it. Um, and so I, I felt like that sometimes like there, maybe she had gone a little further and she just was like, nah, no, nah, no, nah, here, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I love that. I don't know. I, in this one, I think because like you've got a writerly feel to it, you kind of love the, I like to guess at the writer's hand a little bit. It's so fun to be not only introduced to a new writer, but to some of the great work that's that's coming out of like university presses and the particularly around short fiction and short fiction prizes. It just I like I found myself doing a deep dive into the history of the other books that have won the Prairie Schooner Prize and then started looking at like, oh, a bunch of universities have these prizes where they're putting out these great short story collections. And it feels like there's, I don't know, there's it, the, not that they get to take more risks because that makes it sound like, that puts it in like a very capitalist, ooh, risk reward binary. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I never, I don't know that I ever would have found this collection without being turned onto it by somebody like you. But now I feel like I have this, it's like broken beyond a little bit. And so mm -hmm. university presses are not just, you know, the place that like a professor puts out their thesis or something that there's right. actually like, there's a lot of really great work to be found. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the importance of the small press and the publishing ecosystem um, is they, I mean, they, they can, they can take risks that, um, that, major publishing houses maybe i don't know i want to say they can't but maybe they just don't they don't want to <laughs> um, but um you know it's it's much you know they have smaller print runs um and they can actually do really great things for um especially for for debut writers because um you know when you think about and when you do get into like the nitty-gritty of it and you think about like you know uh if if there's a you know if there's a I'm not going to bungle this with my limited understanding of of publishing but if you have like a you know a smaller a smaller print run it's easier to to sell it out and that looks better kind of moving forward in your in your career as as a writer um, and I, there are many writers who've been you know championed by small presses. At the beginning of their careers who've gone on to do you know to do great things like you know gray wolf is one press that does that with a lot of writers i mean yeah someone like leslie jameson um i know like side jones's prelude to a bruise came out with the you know uh prelude to bruise came out with small poetry press i mean there's all these um many writers who've been kind of nurtured by these by these small presses and have gone on to publish with with larger presses um so right. i think they're they're really they're just they're so they're so important um i mean having a published book um is opens doors you know and if like if you can open that door and get like a teaching position because you have a published book that gives you the time to like work on your other thing like it's you really re recognize this ecosystem and you're right like these aren't books that necessarily get you know recognized by anybody but like these smaller awards as well um so it's 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 this whole thing that you can really um 
you know, delve into the depths and like find all sorts of people who are writing incredible things, but it's maybe a little bit stranger or they just have a different um, peer group mm -hmm. that can help them get the foothold in this particular university press system and maybe not in the larger world yet. It's, it's a fascinating area and I love, um, I loved reading this because it's like, it's, it's such a clear thing that like, it's not worse or something. It's not like, it's not like watching like minor league baseball and like, oh yeah, like eventually they're going to get into the major leagues. It's like, no, this is just fantastic writing and there's nothing like um, smaller stadium about it. Yeah. No, absolutely not. We should, um, we should re recommend some other things because this is great. And, um, and we should uh, other, talk about other things that are great. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Drew? Actually, okay. I'm gonna... It was already mentioned. Um, Lena, the Danielle Evans collection... Office of Historical Corrections is so good. It's oh, I'm so, so excited. <laughs> good. I started reading it uh, in September and have just been drawing it out. And uh, the short stories themselves are all fantastic and they're all like great one sitting short stories. The novella, the titular novella at the end is just, holy shit, it is a knockout. Um, I had not read her first collection, but I immediately went out and ordered it because this is, it's just like, it's a perfect, perfect collection. Um, in a way that, I don't know, I feel like it's so easy to be like, that's a really great short story collection. And I really loved some of the stories, but like when you have a collection that in and of itself, you're just like, ha, everything is a home run out of the park. Mm -hmm. um, I really felt that way about this collection. Um, and the other, I'm going to recommend a second short story collection that is also great. And it's that thing of like reading one of your favorite writers when they have a new short story collection out. There's just, I don't know, there's nothing better. Mm -hmm. Um, Kevin Barry has a new collection that's already out in the UK and it comes out, uh, from Doubleday in the States in early 21, I think February or March called that old country music. And it's just, it's a bunch of great Kevin Barry stories. Um, and I found so much comfort being able to go back to knowing in the same way that I found such joy from discovering Danielle Evans as I read each story in her collection. There was also like, particularly over the last month, the last few years, just like the, the comfort that comes from reading a new short story by somebody who you just adore. Um, I felt that way about Kevin's new collection. So those are my two. Lena, nice. how about you? Oh gosh. Um, well, to kind of bookend the, the would you buy, um, Christopher, you're, um, when you were talking about the, the book um, that you bought after seeing the cover on Twitter, what was it called? Personal Pleasures personal pleasures, it reminded me of this uh, 
wonderful book of essayettes by Ross Gay called Book of Delights, um, oh. which came out, I believe, in 2019 or maybe early 2020. Um, but he he does, you know, he's a poet um, and he does something similar where he writes these um, these very short essays, almost like, you know, they're poet essays, so they're prose poemy. Um, but just about things, you know, a, a, they, he set this assignment for himself to um, to to write about um, every, to spend a, every day writing about like the idea of delight, um, and uh, so you do get so you get these lovely you know these lovely essays that like there's a one about like taking a tomato plant on a plane. <laughs> um, and, and then, and it does also go to some, you know, to some, I, I bought it at the beginning of, of quarantine thinking like, oh gosh, this will be like a nice break from all of the horrible things going on. And it's, some of them are, but then some of them, but then some of them aren't like they really get into like, you know, to, to racism and to other non-delightful things, but kind of like, just kind of, um, I don't know, uh, really expounding upon that, the idea of, of delight and what it means. Um, and it, the great thing about reading it is it forces you to kind of, I don't know, to look at the world around you and to try to, to think about like, oh, I could write a, I could write an essay out about, you know, about that, that, um, you know, that person playing guitar in Prospect Park or something, um, and the delight that comes with that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's kind of, it's a, it's a lovely book. Um, and I've been stretching it out. I haven't finished it yet. I've been reading like, I'll, I'll dip in and dip back out of it. Um, but it's a really great, great little book. Nice. Cool. All right. You're up. Oh yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to recommend two things. One, they're neither of them are books. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. I haven't been able to read like anything. I've been reading for work, but I, I just cannot. I've been reading the same Joe Hill book um, for a few weeks now. And it's great, but it's just how I, getting into a narrative has been so hard. Um, and so this podcast called Rabbit Hole, um, put, about, put out by New York Times, it's incredible. And it sort of talks about the first few episodes are about how someone became radicalized by YouTube and it's and then the last few are about QAnon and um and they're real people and these stories of just like the idea of the podcast was like what is the internet doing to us mm. um and each episode is like like 30 minutes um and they're just like I I rarely binge a podcast, but um, I listened to all of these like right in a row because it was so compelling and and it really, um, I don't know, it felt important to understand how the internet is playing a part here because it is. And then on the more fun side of recommendations, um, I, I haven't had this feeling in a long time um, from a YouTube video it felt like back in college when you would just like bring a YouTube video over to your like you would like run over to your friend's dorm and like oh I've got a good one and then you would like go back and forth like showing each other YouTube videos. Um, I felt that for the first time in a while with um, this 
video called Earn 20K Every Month oh my by God. Your Own Boss uh, by Brian David Gilbert. And it's like a comedy video that turns into a horror movie that turns back into a comedy video. Um, and it's only six minutes. But I, when I watched it, I had that old feeling. I actually like texted and emailed a bunch of people like, this is for you. You have to watch this. Like it was like the old idea of what like viral content is. Um, I loved it completely. And um, we'll link it on the website, 70dambooks.com with the episode. Um, Gave me a real too many cooks vibe. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Which I feel like is the last time I got multiple people sending me a video being like, you need to watch this weird thing. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Honestly, I thought you'd been hacked. <laughs> well, yeah, the email it's... you just sent was like, you gotta watch this. <laughs> and the link on the video is like, earn 20K every month. And I was like, um, I don't know about this. Open this in an incognito window just in case. Perfect. Cybersecurity. <laughs> You're good at it. <laughs> That's what incognito windows are for, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but it's it's not a virus. It's a <laughs> It's a YouTube video and it's so good. It's so good. It's a short story of a YouTube video. Um, nice. That's my recommendation. Um, Lena, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Um, and I really, yeah, I love talking about short stories. So I'm <laughs> glad you had me on. <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is the best. If you, if you, for some reason, are, I know that I have this feeling, even though I like short stories so much and reading them, I know I have this feeling sometimes when I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And then I realize like it's a short story collection or a, a novelist I like comes out with their short story collection. And I feel a little like, ah, like, why didn't you write a novel? Um, but then I, I think I've forgotten I forget all the time how great they are and how satisfying and life enriching they can be when you really don't have the attention span um, for it. And I feel like of the many things that this last year has robbed from us, attention span is one of, a, one of them. And uh, short stories can make you really sort of get back into the groove of, of taking time for reading. Yeah. So that is the recommendation for all short stories. <laughs> yes. Buy short story collections. <laughs> buy them. They, you're going to find something you like. And guess what? If you don't like that story, flip and go to the next one. It's fine. Go to the next one. <laughs> it doesn't matter because the last, they're going to be different. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, what you should do is re uh, review us on iTunes. Um, you can also go to our Patreon.com. I think they call it Apple Podcasts now. Maybe that's why we haven't gotten any reviews recently. Oh, excuse me. We just... <laughs> I don't know. I haven't checked. I don't look. Sometimes I just say this because I know reliably it will provoke we a reaction. We just got to 200 reviews hey. on iTunes. Wow. amazing. I Everybody who's ever gone and clicked even just rated us or wrote an actual review thank you so much for doing that it's so so cool to have 200 reviews under our podcast that means a lot to us and it really helps like the algorithm rules all is what i learned from that podcast i was listening to rabbit hole <laughs> and um you know it's it helps the algorithm when there's new reviews uh, and on the 
podcast. So yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, I guess, and review us. And go subscribe to One Story. Hell yeah. Um, go buy the, the the rat from their archives. It's an incredible one to start with. <laughs> it's a really good one go. to start with. Um, also, Epiphany Literary Magazine, it's fantastic. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous issue. And um, they are going to be putting up great stuff. So you could subscribe to that as well. And uh, Tiny Nightmares is a great short fiction collection and you can read this incredible story that Lena wrote in there. There's a lot of places to find the work. And you get to read a lot of other writers too, not just me, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're recommending you, that's the point. Okay, sorry, 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 it's my problem. <laughs> Truly, um, nothing can recommend you more than the fact that you are not only a great writer, but a great champion for other people's writing. Yes, exactly. Oh, thank you, thank you, yes, I try. <laughs> Uh, and so we'll be back in two weeks and you know thanks for everything to everybody for everything to everybody everybody yeah we've done it folks bye bye